What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Sorry to Interrupt, trying to bring you a lot of content while everybody is stuck at home and hopefully obeying the quarantine ruling. Um, today, Sean and I, we talked about our top five moments, whether they be positive or negative, mostly negative for the both of us, of the Knicks and Nets since 1990. Um, so go ahead and give that one a listen and enjoy it. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Check out the website, the greatest website in the world, SorrySports.com. If you have anything to say, shoot us an email, SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Enjoy the pod and enjoy the music. We will be back soon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Sorry to interrupt. We're busy this week, man. Um, today we're uh, today we're going to the A team. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Doing well. So I, I uh, heated your homework assignment and watched a lot of time. A lot or finished? Finished. It. Nice. Okay. Okay. Unbelievable. Cool. Unbelievable. So you saw when he ran for fucking office and all that other shit. Honestly, man, that was just like... <laughs> that was a that, side note. <laughs> to me, it, it was a side note, but I was just like... I, I never saw that coming. Had no idea he was running for office. But shit, the way he was re- operating the zoo and everything, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so we had a little music today. Adam Song, Blink-182. 1999, Enema of the State got up to, uh, on the Billboard Rock Tracks, number 25, which should have been higher than that. Um, one of the top, one of their top albums from 1999, and I think if you're close to our age, you discovered Blink-182 in middle school, this was kind of, this was my group, I don't know about you. Oh yeah, man, Blink was... I listened to a lot of Blink growing up, and, um, you know, that album was easily one of the best albums of the 90s, for sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it capped off the 90s. A lot of good songs on it. Obviously, all the small things. Everyone knows that song, What's My Age Again. They've got a lot of smash hits. They're still doing it today. Um, really fun. Hopefully people can listen to this and get out of the, uh, like I said, the Z100 era. Yeah, we don't we don't need the Z100 era all the time. It yeah. would be, uh, and honestly, a couple other great songs from that album too, man. Aliens exist. Yeah. Uh, Dumpweed, a lot of good stuff on there. Absolutely. All right, so today we are jumping in and talking about... It's actually early for me today, by the way. I'm not used to waking up before 1 o'clock during quarantining. I'm <laughs> sipping my second cup of coffee. Um, this is rough. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? Like, three days a week, 
I'm out the door at 5.15 in the morning, and the concept of doing a podcast at 10 a.m. Eastern time is, is mind-blowing right now. Yeah, well, I mean, what's the point of uh, waking up when you got nothing to do? It's really weird, but I do think it's good to have like some kind of structure because eventually, someday, who knows when, <laughs> we will go back to work, and yeah. uh, it'll be nice to know that beforehand, maybe you're not... You're not segueing immediately from waking up at 11.30 a.m. and then trying to go to work by 8. Absolutely. So why don't you go over the format of this pod, what we're going to be doing. Sounds good, man. So uh, like we teased to end our NCAA pod the other night, we decided that we were going to collaborate on a top five uh, Nets scenarios for me, Nick scenarios for you dating back to 1990, just keeping uh, consistent with that theme. And these scenarios are on court, off court, how they set up for kind of the ineptitude that are our franchises and just how things could have been drastically different if things didn't go planned for either a trade or a free agent signing or a draft pick or a loss in a game or there's a lot to dive into. So give your list first and then I'll give mine and then we'll trade off five down to one absolutely so this is 1990 on so i have the knicks making the 1994 nba finals um that was a significant run i had to throw some success in there um this was also pretty significant during uh basically it was significant for america and also really significant for for new york because the Rangers and the Knicks were both in their championships at that time. The Rangers won. Obviously, the Knicks lost. And also, those were both on the background because this was when OJ was driving the white Bronco as well. Yeah, they cut in during We're not the driving, finals, but in. Yeah, it, was, it didn't, wasn't there that famous part where during, I think it was game four of the NBA Finals against the Rockets, the every, the... I think it was NBC that had the game cut right into OJ driving the Bronco or OJ in the Bronco. Yeah, and the players on the on the bench and at the scores table are trying to see what's going on while the game's going on, and whatnot. Just yeah, a crazy, crazy scene. Absolutely. What's your number four? My number four that I have for you here is sorry, I have it written down. Trading for Carmelo. All right. We that was that a was significant coming. move. What did you say? I said we knew that was coming. I was wondering where you were going to put it. Yeah, just, you know, obviously if the Knicks had won a championship or even a second playoff series, I would have raised it up on the list. But aside from some regular season success and some personal success with some all-star teams and whatnot, and I think a scoring title in there, really not much. Um Number three, you could flip-flop two and three for me. It really depends on the flavor of the month, and that is the hiring of Phil Jackson as mm-hmm. president, GM, whatever you want to say, running the franchise. Sports star. <laughs> and then number two, another great hire, we'll call it, the hiring of Isaiah Thomas as GM. <laughs> and then my number one, for the Knicks from 1990 on is James Dolan taking complete control of MSG. Basically, that means he took complete control of 
the team as well in 1999 from his father, Charles Dolan. So everybody keep in mind, let me just say this, that James Dolan has never done anything for himself in his life, except for maybe learn, I don't know what instrument he plays. Um, everything's come <laughs> from his father, so let's not call him... I mean, he's made a couple shrewd business moves like buying the forum and then getting $400 million from Steve Ballmer, but everything was handed to him. So just think about it's, that. Uh, yeah, it, it's a rough one, man. And it seems like, you know, the son who inherits that kind of wealth and power doesn't ever really seem to doesn't seem to have much success matched we'll just put it that way in some business ventures one of which being your knicks although he's been highly successful with the rangers despite no championships um that's a pretty great list man i'm very much looking forward to hearing you go deep dive into all five of them um for me starting at number five for my new jersey slash brooklyn nets at number five i have the nets taking carrie kittles eighth overall in the 1996 draft um there was a guy still on the board uh, named Kobe Bryant, RIP. Still can't believe I'm saying that. It's it's wild. This t- 2020 sucks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'll talk when I talk more about that. There were a lot of layers that went into p- picking Kerry Kittles. Nice player, had a, had a good career for the Nets. But anytime that you could have picked, what, top four, top five player of all time, yeah. um, that's going to that's gonna have to be on the list. For me, number four is uh, pretty recent. Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson hiring, being hired in 2016 when there really weren't any darker days for this franchise uh, when they took over in the spring of, and summer of 2016. And they segued, obviously, the, the, few, the history is still yet to be completely written, but it has set up the team pretty well. Um, and I'll talk more about how they got there once they were hired. Number three, I have Darren Williams traded to the Nets and subsequently signing a max extension a year and a half later. Um, The Nets were trying to get Carmelo Anthony. They had struck out big in free agency the summer before on LeBron, Wade, Bosh, even Rudy Gay, everybody. So this was a trade when they knew that they were going to be moving to Brooklyn they had another year and a half left in Jersey, and they got, at the time, the top two point guard in the league. Um, remember the debate always, man, for the late 2000s there, early 2010s, was who would you rather have, Chris Paul or Darren Williams? So that was a pretty big move, and especially the dominoes that fell afterwards. Number two, I have Mikel Prokhorov buying the Nets, deciding to move them to Brooklyn, build the Barclays Center, and then have a, a stretch there where he said, we'll have a championship in five years, and making all the short-term win-now moves. Uh, that clearly didn't work out. And lastly for me, in 2001, Jason Kidd being traded to the Nets for Stephon Marbury. Um I know you got Dr. J from the ABA days, but Jason Kidd's the best player in in Nets history, at least as of right now. Um, And what he did just immediately turning that franchise from nothing into a a two straight finals team. So that's number that's number one for me. And that's my list. All right. So, I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks and the Nets have had the Nets are looking up right now. Similar paths. They both made two championships since 1990. 
Knicks being 94 and 99. 99 was kind of a fluke because it was a lockout year. They made it as an eight seed, and Patrick Ewing was hurt. The Nets obviously made it in, what, 2001 and 2002? The uh, 0-1-0-2 season and 0-2-0-3 season. Yep. 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 So they lost the Lakers and then the Spurs, from what I remember. Correct, yep. They won one game out of the uh, out of the nine that were played. Good stuff for them. You didn't have Vince <laughs> Carter. You didn't have Vince Carter getting traded on that list, huh? He's an honorable mention. I'll just talk about it at the end. Um, he didn't make the list because, honestly, man, when he came over, although he rejuvenated his career, which looked kind of done in Toronto, the Nets didn't have a tremendous amount of success. They made the playoffs three times with him, but no, no NBA finals. Um, it's just hard to put him ahead of the other five that I mentioned. Yeah, I, I can't blame you on that. All right, so why don't you lead off with number five, go into a little more detail. All right, so we'll start off with the Kerry Kittles draft pick in 1996. The Nets selected him eighth overall. At this point, a certain head coach that we talked a lot about over the weekend, Coach Calipari, was the New Jersey Nets head coach. And he was dialed in on this kid from Philadelphia in high school named Kobe Bryant. And he was imploring the general manager at the time and the owner at the time, who this franchise was kind of at a crossroads. I mean, three years prior, they had lost Drazen Petrovic in uh, in a terrible, fatal car accident uh, when he was over in Germany. And he was really the, the franchise player. And they were making the playoffs perennially in the early 90s. They even had a couple of matchups with your New York Knicks that the Knicks won. And they were building a nice little culture. They had Derek Coleman, um, Kenny Anderson. They had some nice players. But... Uh, when Petrovich died, everything kind of went out the window, and there was talks about what they were going to be. They almost changed their name to the New Jersey Swamp Dragons um, in just the most New Jersey 1990s kind of cartoonish way. Um, and the owner and GM just weren't willing to make a commitment to this 18-year-old high school kid. And they had seen Carrie Kittle's play really well for Villanova, win a Big East tournament, and say, okay, you know what? This is still the time where we're not going to bank on high school kids. We're going to go for sure things, especially what we've seen out of a player in the NCAA tournament. So they selected Kerry Kittles number eight overall after – this draft is really good, man. You had Allen Iverson go one, Marcus Camby two, uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim three, not great, Steph Marbury four, who was – Ended up having a pretty memorable time with New Jersey. Ray Allen, five. Antoine Walker, six. Lorenzen Wright, seven. So you draft Kerry Kittles. He ends up having a pretty nice career for the Nets. Um, he averaged 16 points and shot 37% from three, averaging 36 minutes a game in his rookie year. And uh, had a nice career. Made two finals uh, appearances with the Nets. Averaging 16.1 during his Nets career. Um, and like I said, went to those two finals. But I don't know, man. You have a couple guys on this, still on this board that they passed up, like Peja Storyakovich, Steve Nash, Jermaine O'Neal, and of course Kobe. Kobe ended up going 13th to Charlotte, obviously traded to the Lakers. But nice career for Kerry Kittles, but you certainly wonder what could have been if Cal Perry maybe had a little bit more power. 
but as a young head coach, as a guy that wasn't going to over, you know, override a, an owner and a general manager, they went with the safe pick, and that's exactly what Kerry Kittles was. He was a nice player for the Nets, but um, think about how different it could have been if they drafted Kobe. Absolutely, man. Well, I guess that's depressing, my friend, but that's only number five. Yeah, it's only number five. A lot of depression on this podcast. Absolutely. All right, so my number five is the Knicks making the finals in in the 93-94 season. Again, I mentioned that they made the finals again in 99, but that was more of a fluke. The Knicks made the finals out of the Eastern Conference. I think, as most people could surmise during the 90s, MJ owned them, but this was when he went to – he first retired to go play baseball. Um, so the Eastern Conference was a little more wide open. Um, they beat the Indiana Pacers in a full seven-game series. And then they went on to lose to the Houston Rockets, of course, because Patrick Ewing is not a big-game player. Hakeem Olajuwon, Kenny Smith, and a few others are. And they lost... What did they lose? 4-2 to two in that series. Or no, yes. I'm... Yeah, but no, they actually no, they lost um they lost in seven. They lost in seven? I'm okay. sorry. I was trying to remember what was saying. They took seven. a three two series lead and they couldn't wrap it up. Oh, that's even worse. Of course, yep. Um three key players on that team, obviously Pat Ewing, John Starks, and Charles Oakley. The enforcer, Charles Oakley. Um he could probably make it he might be a little bit of a part of my number one as well. Um, storyline for the Knicks. They were all selected to the All-Star team. So I guess they had a little bit of a big three going there. Yeah, I mean, that whole team was... I mean, they were just a tough-ass team. But the East was so good then. Obviously, they just couldn't get... They couldn't beat Jordan, but who could? And you still had the Pacers. And as they were, as the Knicks were kind of coming to to fruition there, you still had those Pistons teams were pretty good. So, I mean, dude, that Nick team, very good team, but I don't know how you could have expected them to be anything more than what they were. And they were fighting for the Eastern Conference Championship, I think, what, three years in a row? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was too young, obviously. I wasn't even alive during this series. But with that being said, I mean, you take the Rockets, you get a, you go you go up 3-2, you take the Rockets to seven games, and you still lose. Pat Riley is your head coach, great head coach. Um, and then they end up, a few years later, trading him or giving him the permission to go to the Miami Heat. Yeah, and that ended very ugly, too. Um, and ensued a really nice rivalry the Knicks had with the Heat there in the late 90s. But I don't know. I think you can look back on those Knicks teams fondly. I mean, you get to a championship. You didn't beat the best player all time. And could you say that you should have won that finals? I mean, yeah, you're up three games to two. In 1995, Pat Riley resigned from the Knicks via fax. Yeah, again, ended ugly. Ended ugly. But... I don't know. I mean, you, you go to you go to a finals. You're you're competing every year. You're one of the four or five best teams in the league for a nice four or five year window there, and they had a chance, but that Rocket team was loaded. 
it's it's hard for it's hard for me looking back to say yeah they should have they should have won more i mean they what what really could you have expected from them at that point yeah absolutely and really good team not a great team the knicks accused the heat of tampering um to settle it they ended up getting the heat's first round pick 19th overall do you know who they drafted i don't walter mccarthy yeah, you could have let me guess for three weeks. I wouldn't have gotten that one. NCAA champion. Okay. Um, aside from that, I really don't have much for you. <laughs> I, I can't contribute. And again, you already sure. alluded to that 1996 NBA draft. It was absolutely loaded. And I'm sure there was a few players that were left on the board, including a Ben Wallace who was undrafted who I believe is an NBA, might be an NBA Hall of Famer, at least borderline. Yeah, everyone gets into the NBA Hall of Fame, so he might there because he was a real enforcer for a while, but he had some really damn good players in that draft. Um, had a Derek Fisher. Oh, no, he got drafted two spots. Yeah, he did have a Derek Fisher on the board there. A few other players as well. Rough. Rough. But yeah, well, that starts the Knicks drafting the wrong player. <laughs> there's, there's a common theme here, but I see why you put that number five, man. I mean, I just wanted a little a, positivity. Yeah, and just think what it would have been like in New York with them and the Rangers winning. I mean, that would have been unbelievable. And probably how we look back on the Knicks. Obviously not a championship since 73. Yeah. Everything looks different when you say it's been 20 years since a championship as opposed to 40, 50. <laughs> yeah, right? You don't even know how many years it is. <laughs> depressing times. All right, let's move on to your number four, my friend. All right, more depression. But this one actually <laughs> is probably, for right now, uh, it's definitely paved the way for the Nets to, to be where they are. And again, I don't know what the future holds, but they're still in a good spot. And that's because in the spring and summer of 2016, the Nets decided to hire Sean Marks as GM. And then he decides to hire Kenny Atkinson as his head coach. And there were really, there was nowhere for the Nets to go. I mean, they were in, they were irrelevant because they they had lost all the draft picks. They were still recovering from Darren Williams just giving up on the team. He'll be part of another storyline coming up next. And there was no hope. There was no hope. I mean, just thinking, like, you don't even have a pick to maybe save your franchise. You don't have any assets that you can give other teams. It, it was just a complete and utter shit show. Mark's coming from the San Antonio organization, so... You know, he preached that Popovich kind of uh, attitude. You knew he was going to make shrewd basketball decisions, however important they might be. They start, you know, signing these mid-level guys to, to small-term contracts, not giving too much money. Um, For a short period after, of time, there they were they were taking on other teams' asset or. Uh, other teams well, junk for their assets as well, which honestly turned into a bold move. Ended up getting them D'Angelo Russell, a couple draft picks as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, in addition to some of those vets, like you mentioned, they also were known as the team that teams could just offload their terrible contracts onto. Um, 
you know, and, and one of those was Timothy Mozgov from the Lakers, but they had to, they had to send D'Angelo Russell, who was falling out of favor with them, the former number two overall pick. And Kenny Atkinson was known from his days with the Knicks, from his days with the Hawks as a player development guy. And that's exactly what he was. I mean, veterans who looked like their careers were over started playing better for him. There was no pressure, obviously, because the team was winning barely 20 games a year. But you had D'Angelo Russell come over. At least he was a little bit of promise. Very similarly to how it was when they brought Stephon Marbury in from the Minnesota Timberwolves back in 1999. And he turns into an all-star his second year with the Nets. And it sets up their ability to get... Kyrie and KD to want to come play there. And you look at other guys, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie out of the G League. Um, they trade Thad Young's expiring contract for the rights to Karis LeVert in the draft to the Pacers. Just a lot of small moves at the time. You didn't know or think much of them, but they turned out to basically all be good. We'll see what the future holds, but the fact that they got out of the hole they were in so quickly and became a playoff team last year, I mean, Atkinson's gone now. We've talked about that. Um, but, shit, man, for where they were, you were looking at another 10 years probably before they were going to be anything, and it only took them three. So definitely give a lot of credit there to Atkinson and Marks. That's the reason they're my number four uh, scenario on my list. There you go, buddy. There's right, a little bit your- of hope for you. Yeah, I mean, listen, you have two, you had two superstars say they want to come play for your team. So they created the cap flexibility to be able to do that. And uh, obviously you had veterans around the league who, who matter and who had played for the Nets like Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll say, yeah, you want to go play here. And um, state-of-the-art facilities, again, we'll see what ends up happening. But anytime that you're able to – if you were to tell me, dude – Four years ago, when when Marks was hired, hey, in three years you're gonna get you're gonna get Kyrie and KD to, to come play for you. I would have laughed in your face and then probably cried, knowing you were saying something mean. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But hey, they're there, healthy or not. They're there, so we'll see. How about your number four, my man? My number four is trading for Carmelo Anthony. The big um, one. I was in high school during this. It was a huge deal. I don't know if I've told this story, but I was actually uh, in a basketball game at the time. And when Mello was traded, Mike D'Antoni was actually at my basketball game. And he was the head coach of the Nets. You did tell that story. That's great. Um, which was pretty cool. Everybody was just shouting Mello at him, and he was having a good time. His son was complete trash, by the way. <laughs> um, but with that being said... Carmelo Anthony, huge impact player for the Knicks, resulted in multiple playoff appearances, a lot of all-star teams, and a scoring title. Not much else besides that. I don't really put that on Melo because, I mean, thinking back, aside from a quick Amari stint, which I didn't add to this list because it was so quick due to his injury problems, um, and that was an idiotic signing because even the Phoenix Suns didn't give him that much money. Obviously, you you alluded to the Nets having to make up for not getting any of the big free agents back in what year was that, 2010? Yeah. The Knicks threw 
Over $100 million at Amari Stoudemire when no other team was willing to give him anything close, including the team that he played for, which is always a major red flag because nobody knows more about a player than the team he's on. Um, he had about a year and a half good on that knee, and then it just completely went on him. His career uh, went off the rails, and Melo really didn't have anybody else. I mean, who was his second-best player during his tenure? Would you say, aside from Chris Stops, which was closer to the end, I guess you would say it was Chauncey Billups? Probably. I mean, you had that team in 2012 that was more a veteran-laden team, a lot of role players around Carmelo, but I can't think of a, a real solid, you know, Robin to his Batman, right? Yeah, I mean, that 2012 team, I believe that was the team that won the Atlantic Division. Yeah, 50-plus 50, um, 50 wins. That was a lot of fun. They won their first-round series and then went on to lose to the Boston Celtics. Um J.R. Smith elbowing Rondo in the face, getting ejected, kind of ran them off, well, they off the beat tracks the there. In the first round that year. They lost to the Pacers in round two. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. They lost to the Pacers in round two, and then Paul George went on to become um, a little bit of fun there um, for, for a decent amount of time before he um, – before he – Got hurt and tore his or whatever. What happened to him again? Oh, he he broke his leg. He had a right? micro fracture. Split his leg in half, pretty much. Um, yeah. But again, Mello. Let's talk about the Mello trade first because the Knicks basically gave up their entire team for him. Which, when you're trading for a superstar back then, nowadays it's kind of like, well, these are huge contracts, so. You know, the trades are a little bit more even. Like, if you look at a Russell Westbrook CP3 trade, I'd call that one a little bit more even than than something like this. Um, the Knicks give up Wilson Chandler, who was a good young prospect at the time, selected by Isaiah Thomas, believe it or not, Danilo Gallinari, Raymond Felton, and a young Timothy Mosgoff, who had a couple good years in the league, including a championship with the Cavs. Um... Now, I know DeMille, um, and a lot of picks, by the way. How uh, many picks were there? Well, the second round pick in 2013, a first round pick, 2014, which became Dario Saric, 2016 first round pick, which became Jamal Murray. That one hurts. Um, that one does hurt. And then two pick swaps. So, a lot. That is a lot. Now, let me ask you this, because Nick, I, I think it's an easy narrative to blame the Knicks for trading all of those assets for Carmelo, saying, well, well, he wanted to be here anyway. We should have waited until he was a free agent. I always think that attitude is bullshit. I agree. Because you never know what can, what can change for a player. And he never, ever said he wanted to play for the Knicks. He said he wanted to play in New York, and the Nets were courting him hard. Yep. So the Knicks knew the pressure was on, because if you lose Carmelo Anthony to the then New Jersey Nets, who you knew were ready to move into New York City a few years later, and you're stuck with Amari Stoudemire and that's it, I mean, you can't get up from that from a PR standpoint or to, to, to talk to your fan base. 
So you kind of had to make that trade, right? You couldn't take any gambles. Yeah, and you know what? I can't put really any of this on Melo because, again, the team around him was not that great. He kind of carried that 2012 team, obviously. Um 10-time All-Star, 2012-13 scoring champ, 6-time All-NBA. A good amount of those were with the Knicks. So I think all in all he had a great career with the Knicks. I'm more upset about the contract that Phil threw at him after, even though he didn't want to, and then offloaded him to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, But again, the trade had to be made. You want to get a superstar in New York. You want to put some asses in the seats. I have no complaints about this trade. No, I don't either. I mean, you gave up some nice players, but none of them. I mean, Gallinari is probably the best one out of all of those guys, right? As far as, and he's never been. A well, great Gallinari, player. when he plays, is is a decent player, good player in the NBA, good playmaker, a minus on defense, but obviously he can shoot as well. He can create off the dribble, good player. But again, I mean, how often does he play? Right, and, and again, you're you're. You're talking about a very nice player and a good player. He's not going to send you over the top, nor is Wilson Chandler. No. So, I mean, and Raymond Felton obviously has had his issues. I mean, he was playing well for the Knicks that year. They got him back anyways. Yeah, he came back a few years later. But, yeah, I really don't put any of this on Melo. I mean, first of all, you knew what kind of player he was. He was a scoring – he was the best scorer in the league. Like you said, for that one year, he was always a premier scorer. He was a below average defender, a below average rebounder. The ball stuck with him. And that's why it was so important to surround him with teammates that were able to help complement his game. Like in 2012, the problem is, is that year, all it was was just older role players that didn't have a future. But the Knicks never were able to surround him with guys that were equipped to have a nice three, four year run with him. I mean, I think one other name you could probably say is Jeremy Lynn, who might who had that stretch there with Lynn Sanity. He might have been the second best player Carmelo even played with. And that's absurd. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think Melo was too happy about all the touches that he was taking either. No, he was not. There was clear animosity there. And listen, Melo's not the greatest teammate in the world, not the greatest guy as far as you want to build a team around in the NBA he wasn't LeBron he wasn't Wade but he wasn't Durant even either but he was a great player and and if it wasn't for the ineptitude of the front office whoever was running the show I think he had two or three GMs during his time with the Knicks his entire career could have been looked at differently and I agree with you that last contract that was given to him should have let him go to the Bulls and uh, I, unfortunately, the way it ended there was pretty pretty rough. Yeah, that last contract is more on Phil Jackson. Now it's kind of a fuck you to the Knicks fans. And he, Phil Jackson, honestly, I would assume that you're a big fan of him because he's a big fan of Spike. <laughs> I, listen, I wouldn't be as big of a fan if he did to my franchise what he did to yours. But I do love the spite. There's no doubt about it. Um, Speaking of which, you must, I mean, not to sidebar here, but we're going to do it anyways because what else do people have to listen to? You must have really loved this curb season because it was pretty much all based around spite. Oh, yeah, the spite storm. Yeah, absolutely. No no doubt about it. Uh, When you're wronged and you see somebody who, who fucked you over and you see them struggle or you can do something to get back at them, even if the motive doesn't really benefit you at all, uh, it's fun. I'm, I'm full supporting of it. 
John, let's just talk about this really quick. Were you... Did somebody really wrong you that bad in your life? Were you bullied in in, in grade school, high school, middle never school? Never bullied. No, never bullied. Uh, I just believe that... You've all been hey, bullied at a time. I even me. Yeah, not, not, nothing that would be scarring. I mean, listen, it's just... It's, I believe it's a, it's a fundamental principle of right and wrong. All right? I so hear you, man. If, if you're... If you're able to watch somebody do something that the people aren't dumb, you know, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to that idea. I think people know exactly what the hell they're. There's doing. a lot of dumb people out there, buddy. Yeah, but not when it comes. I, I definitely believe, unless you're the most oblivious person in the world, for the most part, you're doing things that absolutely carry consequences. Well, those and, are me, guys, and there's a million in the world. And to do, and to do things, you know. It, it, like that and you look and you see hey I, i'm able to get them back or oh they got what was coming to them yeah no i absolutely love that and you know i'm sure phil jackson he didn't even want that job in the first place they he just threw the, so much money at him he just gets all the money in the world to the point where he said i can't not take this job and he had animosity towards the knicks for years because even though he won championship there Maybe two, right? Did he win two or just the one in the 70s? Um, Trying to remember. But either way, he he felt like the franchise did him wrong uh, on his departure there. And then, of course, I mean, the revenge should have been acted just when he was the Bulls head coach. He just won one, by the way. He just won one? Okay. He beat the Knicks all the time. So, you know. I don't know what more you had to do, but it, I just don't think he was all that interested. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those situations where you look back and say, you can make a pretty good case that uh, he sabotaged the team. Absolutely. That's my that's my spite rant. All right, so let's move on to your number. What number are we on? <laughs> We're on number three. And I want – this is a lot of spite coming from this one. So <clears> – <throat> Darren Williams was traded to the New Jersey Nets the day after Carmelo was traded to the New York Knicks. So the Nets struck out on on Melo, but they had Williams waiting in the wings who, excuse me, was growing increasingly less happy with uh, Jerry Sloan and the Utah Jazz. So he was looking for an out. They were looking to move him. And he gets traded on February 23rd of 2011 at the trade deadline. Uh, he spent the ne- that year and the next year in New Jersey before going to Brooklyn. The trade was Williams to New Jersey for Devin Harris, Derek Favors, who the Nets had drafted with, uh, with their first-round pick in 2010, and two first-round picks and $3 million cash. Um, one of those picks ended up being the third overall pick, my friend, in 2011, which became Enos Cantor. Okay. So, you know, pretty nice player. Uh, He's had a very good, at times, NBA career. Um, Williams, as I mentioned before, man, he was a top two point guard in the league. I mean, by the time he came over, he was averaging 19 points per game and 10 assists a game. Um, Made the playoffs four straight years in Utah from 07 to 2010, averaging 21.3 points per game and 10 assists per game. Always nice to see a player's scoring go up in the playoffs. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he was... I don't know if he was a top five player in the league, but he was a top two point guard. Like I said, the debate was who would you rather have him or Chris Paul? And I mean, when I remember being ecstatic when the Nets got him because there was nobody on that team. I mean, I talked about in how 
they struck out in free agency the year before. They had set themselves up, like the Knicks and seemingly everybody else, including the Miami Heat, to get LeBron, Wade, Bosh, Rudy Gay was also an option there who who looked like he was going to be coming until Memphis threw the max at him. The Nets ended up with the saddest free agent crop, and I'll never forget these guys having to go to the then Prudential Center in, New Jer- in Newark, New Jersey, and hold up their Nets uniforms. Listen to this. They end up signing Johan Petro, Jordan Farmar, Anthony Morrow, and Travis Outlaw. So that's who you're looking at giving the keys to your franchise. You had Brooke Lopez. Travis Outlaw still getting minutes in the league today, I believe. I, I'm not sure about that. He might be. <laughs> I mean, he's one of those guys that you just – I don't remember any part of his NBA career. But clearly he was good enough at one point to get a, a, to get a nice bag from a terrible team, and that's what the Nets were. You had Brooke Lopez at the time who they drafted two years before. You liked him and were excited about him. You had Chris Humphreys. I mean, but again, not a good team at all. And they're playing in Newark, New Jersey. They're winning 18 to 20 games a year. So you bring in a guy like Darren Williams, you're very excited. Uh, In his one and a half years in New Jersey, he's averaging 24 points a game and 14.3 assists per game. And he's one of the... He's one of the most fun players to watch. I mean, you knew they were going to lose, but he was fun to watch every night. And then the Nets are moving to Brooklyn at the end of the 2011-2012 season. So you're not going to – you have all this cap space, right? You're clearly going to make a move to make yourself competitive that first year in Brooklyn. So they throw a five-year max at him, $98 million to stay with the Nets. He goes to the playoffs his first three years – one of those years being the middle year in 13-14 when they go to the second round, lose to the Heat in five. Um, but, you know, the popular demand, the popular consensus, and I'll get your take on this too, is obviously the, the Pierce-Garnett trade, it ruined the Nets, right? But I would counter that by saying that Darren Williams ruined the Nets. Because... They had gone to the playoffs in the 2012-2013 season, lost a Game 7 at home to the Bulls, who were just a more mentally tough team. But you had a, a, a nice blueprint and template for a team with Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, and Brooke Lopez. You had your elite scorer, you had your dynamic point guard, and you had a nice center whose game was pretty versatile. You got Pierce and Garnett, who were really supposed to be, you know, ancillary pieces of championship caliber to – who were completely Amplified. washed at the time, little did the Nets They know. were completely washed, but they were not supposed to be the main cogs of this team. And even if they didn't win a championship with them being in, in Brooklyn, if you still had Darren Williams playing at an elite level, that's an attractive team for other stars and, and good players to want to go to. The problem was Darren Williams just straight up gave up. He got hurt a lot, but a lot of it was his own doing. He was out of shape. He got fat. He had absolutely no engine, no motor to to be great once he got paid. And the Nets ended up buying him out at the end of the 2014-15 season. He goes to Dallas and plays pretty well there. And, and actually, I think he was like – I don't think he got minutes at all, but he was on the Cavs team that won in 16. So – to me, man, this guy completely ruined what and put the Nets in the position that they were in there in the mid 2010s by just completely giving up on the team. Um, fascinating net career. Um, 
but depressing as well. Do you have any arguments to that? No, not at all. Um, I completely agree with you. I think he ruined the Nets, but I'd also like to dive deeper into the other acquisitions they made and oh, we will. what they lost out on because it's uh, it's one of the most significant things in NBA history. We will. Uh, my number two, that's absolutely included. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think Darren Williams was the focal point of what the Nets turned into post-Darren Williams. Yes, absolutely. I mean, again, you have a, if you have a top point guard, even if he had declined a little bit, if he had become what Chris Paul is now, you know, or, and you have uh, a Brooke Lopez and you still had a Joe Johnson, that's an attractive team for players to want to go play with. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad spot, even if they didn't win with, with Pierce and Garnett. But when you have an all-star, a, a top player who decides that he's just not going to try anymore and you're paying them $98 million over five years, you're just not going to get up from that. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention all the assets that they lost, too. Which is even more painful when you look back. It was, uh, it went from a lot of excitement to a far, far fall. Very quickly. All right, you want to move on to my number three? Talk more disappointment? I sure as shit do. Let's keep the depression rolling, my man. Because I think between you and I, it's going to get depressing with both of our top threes. It already has with yours. Spite and depression, the, the highlights of this podcast. Yes, sir. All right, so my number three is Coach Phil Jack. Coach, let me highlight that. Phil Jackson <laughs> not being hired as the next coach. I still might be excited about that today. Probably, maybe not. Um, but coach and player being hired as a front office guy, um, Phil Jackson, just what do I have to say? I mean, I'm going to go down the list here, but it's very depressing. Um, listen, no disrespect to Phil Jackson. He's just a complete trash front office guy. And like you said, he didn't want the job. It's just if somebody throws, what was it, $90 million at you? It was something like that. Let me ask you, were you excited for it when it happened? Oh, absolutely. Fans were, like, picketing outside of Madison Square Garden. uh, And then, like, as they're rioting, you get the news that Phil's getting hired. Were you one of those people rioting and then putting your sign away? Um, I was not rioting. Uh, I was a full supporter, though, of the riot. And listen... I'm going to talk a lot of shit about James Dolan later, as I usually do, but I can't blame him for making this this move. It's what he did towards the end that really made me upset. Okay. James so Dolan let's, let's... still shoulders blame in this, but the move at the beginning, I liked it. And staying out of the way, I liked it. But as a businessman, even if your father was a real businessman, or just as a person with common sense, which clearly he doesn't have any of, you got to, at some point, realize this is a complete train wreck and get him out of there a little bit earlier than you did. All right, so Phil Jackson obviously coached, I think, 11 championship teams, if I'm not wrong. I think I'm right. Yeah. He coached yeah. two three-peats with the Bulls, um, the three-peat with the Lakers, and then after that he also coached the back-to-back with the Lakers um, a little bit later on. All right, so... Let's go over the first couple moves that he makes. Signs Shannon Brown 
to a contract for the rest of the season. Not a big deal. I mean, just a little, uh, little love to one of his former Laker players. He plays 19 games total. Signs Lamar Odom, who at this time in April, on April 16, 2014, I don't know the last time he had played in the league. It was the year before. He actually played a full 82 for the Los Angeles uh, Clippers, believe it or not. But he completely went downhill from that. That was when he was in the brothel and the crack and all that stuff. He didn't play a single game, so you're just throwing money at the wall there. Then he fired a coach that made the playoffs multiple times and had a good relationship with your best player, Carmelo Anthony, Mike Woodson, and made the notorious hire of Derek Fisher, who the thing he's most famous for is dating a player's former girlfriend. A player on his team's former girlfriend. <laughs> I believe yeah, it was good. Tim Hardaway Jr.'s former girlfriend. I have no, I, I don't really no, know. No, it was uh, Matt, Matt Barnes. Oh, yes, he was going out with his wife. And let me tell you, Matt Barnes, Kobe Bryant endorse him, not a guy to fuck with. Um, and he's great on the air right now i love him on espn yeah he is and he has his own podcast as well he does a really good job uh champion with the golden state warriors not a guy to be fucked with um traded tyson chandler raymond felton to the mavs for again another old laker um jose calderon samuel dallenberg wayne ellington and shane larkin uh i mean that trade I'm upset about it because he traded Tyson Chandler, who still had some good years left him, and I think he really could have helped out the Knicks. Um, then let's move down the line. July 13, 2014, signed Carmelo Anthony to a spite deal, one of the worst contracts in NBA history. Um, that was well after Melo's prime back in 2012. Terrible deal. Am I wrong on that? Absolutely not. I mean, um, it was, again, like, hey, you had gotten a lot out of him. It clearly wasn't going to happen in New York. He was ready to be a bull. Should have just let him go. Yes. Then one thing he did do well, September 9, 2014, he signed Langston Galloway. Obviously a small deal, but he did um, he did play some NBA minutes, and I believe he's still playing in the NBA um, for the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, he's a nice little player. Then, as part of a three-team trade on January 5th, 2015, he trades Amon Shumpert, J.R. Smith, to the Cleveland Cavaliers for literally nothing. Couldn't even get Deion Waiters out of it because he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Although I'm happy about that because I think Deion Waiters would have been pretty frustrating. Um, they got Lance Thomas and pretty much nothing else. Um J.R. and Amon became major pieces to that 2016 championship for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really nice role players. I mean, J.R. Smith at his peak was a top-scoring option off the bench. I mean, probably, you know, like today's Lou Williams. But absolutely should have gotten more. And and Amon Shumpert was a tough-as-nails defender who could shoot a little bit. And rebound a lot. And the fact that, you know, you just kind of gave those guys away for nothing. They definitely had more value than than Lance Thomas. Yes, absolutely. Um, then he traded 
And this isn't a huge deal, but it just goes to show that he had no feel at all. Traded Pablo Prigioni to the Rockets for Alexis Fed. Um, Prigioni played some big minutes for the Knicks, and he was a decent player. That's just an asshole move. Don't like it. Fair. Then in June of 2015, he selected Christos Porzingis. So gold star for Phil. It is not his fault that things fell apart. He began things falling apart with Kristaps because he disrespected Kristaps on multiple occasions, and I think he's the reason why he soured with the Knicks, but I don't think he was the reason why he was traded. I think that's a Dolan thing. Yeah, it was a Dolan thing, but at that point, I mean, you did have that rift between Kristaps and and Phil, but I just think it was, again, you had Phil who was so out of touch with today's player from a non-coaching standpoint. I mean, listen, I have my problems with KP. He's a tremendous player when he's healthy, which is not often. But he's never won anything in his NBA career. And the fact that Phil was dealing with a guy who thought that he came in the league and won three rings already, I'm sure Phil just didn't want to deal any with any of that kind of shit. And again, spite. Yes. Um, then he traded Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, to the Atlanta Hawks. If you don't remember, post-Phil, then the Knicks went on and signed him to a massive contract. That, Unbelievable. That started my quote where you turned an intern into a CEO. Um, yeah. With that trade that when bad. they re-signed him. Um, they ended up getting jerry and grant out of it who's playing big minutes for the nuggets before this whole quarantine thing happened didn't hold on to him which was terrible um following that he signed players like aaron aflalo who flamed out with the knicks robin lopez who was a decent player for the knicks but again he's a good player on a milwaukee bucks team that's he's going to put him over the top to possibly a championship not a good player on a bad team though because What's he going to do? Get a couple extra rebounds and pass it out for a few more bad plays? And he signed Derek Williams to a multi-year contract, and he flamed out with the Knicks, never really got anything done. That was kind of the end of his career as a second overall pick. Yeah, I'm not going to give him as much shit for that because, again, at that point, I don't know what the deal was, but it was pretty much already established that he was not going to have the career that I think the Timberwolves who drafted him second overall in 2011 thought he was going to have, you know, you take shots on those kind of, those kind of guys when you're not a team that's going to attract superstars. Yeah. And then let me just throw this in there, although it doesn't matter that much. Sasa Vujicic was signed by him in 2015. He had played two games for the Clippers and he played five. He played all of 10 minutes in 2013, then goes on to play 61 games for the Knicks. That's unbelievable. What the fuck? 61 games for the Knicks, so that would have been in 2016, right? Yeah, and he played... Not a good year. 25 minutes a game. Um, Thank you, Phil, for that. Then he went on to fire Derek Fisher, which was obviously the right move when you're dating a player's uh, ex-wife. Not a good look. Derek Fisher, all in all, a terrible head coach. But who did he appoint as the interim head coach? Kurt Rambis. Kurt Rambis. <laughs> um, then it went on to, to hire Jeff Hornacek as the head coach. Things never really went well there. Um, then he made the big move trading Jose Calderon, Jerry and Grant, and Robin Lopez for Justin Holiday, a decent player, and Derek Rose. 
Derrick Rose, who we mentioned in our most recent podcast, um, never really played well for the Knicks, and I really didn't like them giving up the asset of Jerry and Grant there. I remember when they got him, and I had Nick fans telling me that, okay, wow, we got Derrick Rose. Look at our big three. We have Rose, Porzingis, and Carmelo, and I was just laughing. Yeah, like, no, I was not one of those Knicks what? fans. <laughs> you were not. You were not. Um, and Rose, give him credit. He's played very well with Minnesota and now Detroit, um, of course, which always happens to bad teams. Uh, they play well after they leave you. Yes. Um then he made a signing in early 2016 of Joe Kim Noah for a multi-year contract. Do you know how many games total he played? <laughs> Not many. He played, I believe, 46 and then 7. So what's the math on that, my friend? I believe it's 53. What was the contract they gave him? How much was it for? I it was don't... like the second day of free agency, right? Or first or second day of free agency. They gave him, I think it was a four-year deal. Yes, uh, something of seen. Let's see. Um, yeah, it was a it was a three-year deal. First year, 17. Second year, 17. 765,000. Third year, he didn't even play for the next 18, 18,530,000. Oh, my God. Joaquin Noah has made $125 million in the NBA. That's just criminal. And I remember when they signed him, and I was like, what? What? Because yes. uh, he was hurt the last few years with Chicago. He was really beat up from going on all those deep playoff runs. And he was Thibodeau just running player. into the ground. Yeah, he was a nice, He was a very tough, hard-nosed player on the defensive and on the rebounding sides of the basketball, but outside nothing anywhere close to resembling a player that should be getting four years and almost a hundred million. Oh, absolutely. And then the travesty of all travesties towards the end there, he drafts um I believe it was like forty eight hours before being fired, so I put that on more on James Dolan, which is why I absolutely hate him. One of the biggest reasons right there. He drafts Frank Nilakina out of France. A guy who is known as a long, athletic, young player. Still only 21. Pretty interesting there. Um, he drafts him with the 8th overall pick. And pre-draft, do you know who Nick's... Um, scouts wanted them to draft. I don't take into Donovan account... Mitchell, right? Yes, I don't take into account anything post draft because, I mean, fuck it. If I'm in, if I'm in the front office of you know the Portland Trailblazers back when Michael Jordan was drafted, I'll say, oh, I wanted to draft Michael Jordan three years later instead of Sam Bowie. But pre draft, if you everybody's clamoring for Donovan Mitchell and he goes out with a fuck you and takes a random French guy who has not done a single thing in the NBA to a Donovan Mitchell who made an all-star team this year and then was fired two days later, that's terrible. Oh, absolutely criminal. And again, a combination of all the money, of all the dumb money trades and that draft spent really set the Knicks up nice. (laughs) Real nice. A lot of sleepless nights for you, I'm sure. Um, Why did he draft Frank Neokina, Tom? 
Spite? Because he fit the triangle. Oh, yes, and Spite. He fit the triangle, the most antiquated uh, style of play in the league. And no, I'm not going to draft a Donovan Mitchell. I'm not going to draft a, an elite an elite scoring machine. I'm not going to draft a, a top plug-in becomes a top 25 player in the league. I'm going to draft the youngest player in the draft whose skill set because of his ability to rebound and distribute the basketball, whose ceiling is probably a sixth guy on the team because he fits the triangle. Yeah. That's... That is unbelievably poor. Yes, sir. And I like Nidalkina as a player. I think he's going to be a guy where we look back and he's going to go to a nice, a pretty good team, and he could be the seventh guy on a championship team, I think, or, or be the second point guard on a championship team, play really valuable minutes. His defense is great. He's just not – his game doesn't fit – you know, being the catalyst or being the premier featured point guard on a basketball team. Not yes. yet, anyway. Absolutely. All right, so I'm done talking about that. Fuck you, Phil Jackson. Um, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and uh, give me yours? Number, number, All right. th- number two. Number two. It's the Mikhail Prokhorov era. <laughs> so we're giving eras you gave your Phil one I know you're gonna have your Dolan one coming up I'm giving the Prokhorov one so he purchases the New Jersey Nets in May of 2010 buying 80 percent majority stake in the team plus a 45 percent interest in the new Barclays Center project in Brooklyn so the the wheels are turning already here for for the team to move out of New Jersey they weren't happy remember they moved from East Rutherford to Newark which is never a sentence anyone should say. So following the 2011-2012 season, the Nets officially rebrand as the Brooklyn Nets and moved to Brooklyn. State-of-the-art arena there in Flatbush in Atlantic, the Barclays Center. Beautiful. If you haven't been once this whole coronavirus is over, um, go check out a concert or a game there. It's a, it's a really cool vibe. They did a great job with it. Um, but here's where... He dooms the franchise. Now, obviously, as a pathetic Nets fan, I love it because I'm, you know, just used to seeing no hope. So when he says we will have a championship team within the next five years, he starts to put his money where his mouth is, which is great because he was one of the wealthiest owners in the sport at that time. All Russian blood money. Oh, yeah. Like true oligarch, dirty money. It was great. Um he re-signs Darren Williams to the max. He trades for Joe Johnson. And, but listen to some of these other ones. This is all while the Miami Heat are being formed, by the way. So you're not this winning any championships. This is while the Heat are already in existence. Yeah, yeah. The, Heat, the Heat big three is, is well established. So not a great time to say we'll have a championship in the next five years. And you still had the Celtics that were going through their last couple years there after they won a title in 08 and went to the championship in 2010. Listen to this. So we start with Gerald Wallace. The Nets trade Mehmet O'Kerr, Sean Williams, and a protected 2012 first-round pick for Gerald Wallace. Um, that draft pick ended up being Damian Lillard. <laughs> so Gerald Wallace plays one year for the Brooklyn Nets, the first year in Brooklyn in 2012-2013. He averages 7.7 points per game, 4.6 rebounds. He's traded in the Pierce and Garnett trade. 
Now, on July 2nd of 2012, right after re-signing Darren Williams to the Max, they go out and they trade for Joe Johnson, um, and they get rid of three of the main 2010 free agent class guys, <laughs> Johan Petro, Jordan Farmar, and Anthony Morrow, along with Jordan Williams, um, and a lottery-protected first-round pick in 2013, which became the number 18 overall pick in being Shane Larkin. So not a, not one you're going to really get too upset about. Joe Johnson was a damn good player for the Nets. He was he was really, really good as the premier scorer for three, four years there. He averaged 14.6 points per game um, and the, in his first year in, in Brooklyn, uh, and he made the playoffs in his first three years. Then here comes the probably most famous trade of all time or you know most infamous trade if you're looking at it from the net side draft night 2013 paul pierce kevin garnett jason terry to the nets for gerald wallace chris humphreys torniki shingala reggie evans keith bogans and marshawn brooks along with unprotected unprotected <laughs> first round picks 2014 16 and 18 these picks become James Young in 2014, Jalen Brown in 2016. They were able to acquire Brooklyn's 2017 first-round pick, which became the number one overall pick that they traded to Philly. For another Philly lottery drafted, pick. Yep, Philly obviously ended up drafting... Um, Markel. Uh, escaping me. Yeah, Markel Fultz, and the Celtics draft Jay, um, Jason Tatum. Top 20 player the in the league. The 2018 pick the last one that the Celtics had, they were able to trade to Cleveland as part of the Kyrie Irving trade. So can you just say, just take me out back and shoot me eight times? Because I believe that what happened. That 2018 pick became who? Colin Sexton? Colin Sexton. Yep. Nice player. Um, but the fact that it was used to be able to go get Kyrie Irving, you know, that hurts. Um, that hurts a lot. So, we look here. Pierce spent one year in Brooklyn. He averaged 13.5 points per game. KG spent a year and a half in Brooklyn, averaging 6.6 points per game, before he was traded back to Minnesota for Thaddeus Young at the trade deadline in 2015. That one year that they were together, the Nets went to the second round of the playoffs and lost to the Heat in five games. Now, they had swept the Heat in the regular season. And I do still say, not that they would have won. I definitely don't think they would have won. But I think this series is more competitive if Brooke Lopez doesn't get hurt. Because if you recall those Heat teams, they never really had a center. Definitely not a scoring center or one that could stop. They're not winning Lopez. that series. Move on. They're not winning the series, but it definitely could have been more more competitive than it was. But, yes, obviously, they went for it all. Um now, when they made this trade, I remember just going, I couldn't believe, you saw the picks that they were giving up keep flowing in, and I couldn't believe it, but let's be honest, you never thought, and I'm sure even Danny Ainge never thought that they would all be lottery top four or five picks. Because, again, back to my Darren Williams point, if that team is even just a playoff team every year, not winning at all, but going to the playoffs every year, those picks never become what they are or what they did. So you had these two 
former superstar players, both obviously Hall of Famers, KG this year, congrats, come over and they were supposed to be the missing pieces and provide defense and toughness and some experienced scoring in big moments. And to, for the most part, honestly, man, they kind of did that. But Darren Williams in and out of the lineup that entire year. Brooke Lopez gets hurt. Pierce doesn't want any part of staying there. He didn't want to go there to get to the, from the get-go. He goes to the Clippers. Uh, and, and Garnett was just washed. So Prokhorov, he said he wanted a championship in five years. He definitely made the splashing moves, and I give him credit for putting his money where his mouth was. But during this time, the Nets had five head coaches. Avery Johnson, P.J. Carlissimo. They bring in Jason Kidd, who two months before was playing for your New York Knicks. They bring him in as, in as a head coach. Then Lionel Hollins, and they had another um, interim in there as well when they let him go. Finally sold uh, his stake in the Nets last year. Allow opening the door for Joe Psy. But that is the Mikhail Prokhorov era. That's how bad teams operate. You go for win now, getting rid of every asset, and there's actually been provisions put in by the league office that no longer allow you to trade that many picks, unprotected picks in a row. We like to call that the Brooklyn Net Rule. All right. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about my number two, this is called the New York Knicks rule. A major part of why you're not allowed to trade draft picks in back-to-back years is because of Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I'm going to look forward to see hearing you go down memory lane on this one. All right, so let's start on January 5th, 2004. Isaiah Thomas trades... Howard Easley, whatever this other guy's name is, Antonio McDice, and Charlie Ward, along with two first-round draft picks for Anthony Hardaway, in case people don't know who that is, that's Penny Hardaway, who was injury-prone and washed at this time, Stefan Marbury, and someone else, I can't pronounce their name, I'm sorry. The other draft pick was a 2010 first-round pick, the number nine overall. Do you know who that turned into? I don't. Gordon Hayward. Oh, boy. So Isaiah Thomas in 2004 haunts the Knicks until 2010, possibly further on as I go on. Stephon Marbury, area in New York. How do we feel about that? Um, I don't think there's a way you can say good. No. You're excited about it. You get your New York point guard in there from Coney Island, but a troubled guy. And and he had been good with the Nets, so you knew he was already liked playing back east. Well, he was in Minnesota. He obviously forced his way out there because he was upset that KG got the big contract. Then he goes to the Nets, right? Yep. Um, good with the Nets, but the Nets trade him to Phoenix for Jason Kidd, the right move there for the Nets for once. Um, plays pretty well in Phoenix, but obviously just a scorer on a bad team, and then the Knicks give up a haul for him. Yeah, I mean... Sidebar, again, Charlie I Ward. Whole... Charlie, we could talk about Charlie Ward. He's one of the greatest athletes of all time. Heisman Charlie Award Ward was great. Yeah, that's right. He was uh, made a lot of money in the NBA too. He had promise. He had promise. Yeah, absolutely. Understood the mindset, right? Because you needed a you needed a premier point guard, and even though he had been on bad teams, 
you knew the production was going to be there, at least you thought. Yeah, but this was the era of getting production over a guy who can actually win games. All right, so my so my one good move that Isaiah Thomas made in his entire tenure, drafting Trevor Ariza in the second round with the 43rd overall pick. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but that to be followed later, he obviously won a couple championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. He was not on the Knicks at the time. Yeah, no winning with the Knicks. Traded Vin Baker, who was a decent player, Moochie Norris, and a second-round overall pick that turned into Steve Novak, who came back to the, who came back to the uh, New York Knicks for Maurice Taylor. Not a good run there. No. All right. Traded Jamison Brewer, Nazi Muhammad to the San Antonio Spurs for. Malik Rose and two first-round picks, one of those which became in 2005 David Lee. So I'll give him a good one there. Yeah, he was a good player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Who, again, the Knicks traded later, not Isaiah Thomas, I don't believe, but still. All right, selected Channing Frye with the first pick. I'm sorry, with the eighth pick in 2005. Who else was on the board then? Let's take a look. The 2005 NBA draft. Why don't we take a look, my friend? Because I'm sure there's Let's some players it. on the board. That was your, that was your boy Darren Williams' year. Yeah. Andrew Raven Bynum. Andrew Bynum on the list. Danny Granger. These were all still available at eight. Yes. Okay. The only thing the Knicks did well is they used their second pick on David Lee with the last pick in the first round out of Florida. That's a big-time pick right there. But taking Channing Frye, who went on to win a championship over a Danny Granger, that hurts. Yeah, Danny Granger was kind of Paul George before Paul George with the, with the Pacers. Yeah, just a lot, of, um, a lot of injuries for the guy, but, I mean, not really, not really his fault, just... An absolute shit ton of injuries. All right, so why don't we move on? Traded Jerome James, Tim Thomas, 2006 first-round pick, 2007 first-round pick. By the way, back-to-back years there. And they traded that and a few other second-round picks for Eddie Curry, Antonio Davis, Oh, and a 2007 first-round pick, which eventually became Wilson Chandler. Do you know who those two picks ended up being? Um, you don't. I, I was gonna, I was trying to. Did one become Rose? No. Okay. 2006 first-round pick became Lamarcus Aldridge. Ouch. Multi-time All-Star. 2007 first-round pick became Joakim Noah, multi-time All-Star NBA Defensive Player of the Year. For Eddie fucking Curry. Yeah, Rose was 08. For Eddie fucking Curry. That's brutal. Eddie Curry, who had already flamed out with the Bulls, had a ton of heart problems and just did not play hard. Yeah, that's, that's one of... 
that's one of the roughest moves that you can point to. I mean, you that was a bad trade when it happened. You, yeah. you were just thinking, what, why, why? Because he was no longer a guy who had upside and potential. And he was done. At least in every smart NBA person. Not knew. to mention a massive contract. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you knew at that point already he wasn't going to be anything close to what his ceiling could have been. So the fact that they were trying to still capitalize on that upside that didn't exist, I think Isaiah Thomas was the only person that thought that they that he did. Yeah. So then he goes on February of 2006 to trade Trevor Ariza, who, again, I loved as a young player. And Penny Hardaway, back to the Magic. Penny went back to the Magic for Steve Francis, another washed guard <laughs> on a massive I contract. I about Stevie Franchise with the Knicks. Yeah. Abso- you know what? I hate to say it. I really do. But I was I was kind of excited when they got him. Well, he was... It was, again, a, a part of that era of guys who were really fun talents, but just never won shit. All right, so we're going to move on to June 28th. I'm, I'm glossing over what you said there because it's making me depressed. <laughs> June of 2007, they trade Stevie Franchise, a young Channing Fry who's showing a lot of promise, even though you drafted him over Danny Granger. To the Portland Trailblazers for Dick something, Fred Jones, and a and a Zach Randolph who had a terrible run with the New York Knicks. Went on to the Memphis Grizzlies and played really well, but was absolutely a bust for the New York Knicks. Yeah, he again just following the trend with both our franchises. Not a mistake that they get better with the team that they go to after the Knicks and the Nets. Yes, and why don't we talk about the off-the-court stuff, huh? I, I don't know if you. I want to bear... Well, just for his Knicks at tenure, right? Yeah, we'll talk about the off-the-court stuff. Okay, because I feel like he got his shit together and was a really good player and a good guy there for those Memphis teams. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but... Um, Isaiah Thomas, let's see. Do we have to talk about the part where he... Um... Oh, I thought you were talking about Zach Randolph. I'm sorry. I wasn't no, sure no, you were no, talking no. about Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of this. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Um, he was James Dolan. We're going to talk about him after, obviously. Named the defendant in a sexual harassment lawsuit submitted by former Knicks executive. I don't want to say her name. Brown Sanders was her last name, um, accused Dolan of firing her out of spite after she complained about sexual harassment from Isaiah Thomas. More spite. So there you go. Not only do you have a terrible tenure um, mortgaging the Knicks up until about 2010 financially, as well as draft picks-wise, I mentioned Gordon Hayward, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Joakim Noah, about 10 all-star games between the three of them. Um, he also sexually harassed a woman off the court. It's a rough run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't say anything anything positive about any of that. Nope. All right, so why don't we move on to year number two? 
Uh, my number one, actually. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. No, you're good. Um, this is really a tough podcast to get through. Um, but I, I, I think Adam's song was a perfect selection for uh, to lead this pod off. Yeah, really get depressed. Um, yeah, just set the tone. But I'm going to look back on my number one with a lot of good moments and, and positivity. Because on draft night of 2001, the New Jersey Nets trade Stephon Marbury, all-star point guard Stephon Marbury, to Jason, for Jason Kidd. This was absolutely the pinnacle moment of Rod Thorne's executive career and what took the Nets out of mediocrity. I mean, I know I say that almost all the time, but you're able to upgrade at the most important position, really, especially back then, and get a guy who put up great numbers on a bad team for a guy that didn't put up as great of numbers but won a lot in Jason Kidd. Now, I know he had some off-the-court issues as well. Domestic violence. uh, with domestic violence, and I, I think eventually a DUI was in there. But on the court, he took his game to the next level immediately with the Nets. Now, the Nets already had a nice nice little team here. You, you, you have Kenyon Martin, who's going into his second year. You just draft Richard Jefferson out of Arizona. You have Keith Van Horn. You've got Kerry Kittles. You've got Sam Cassell. Nice players, right? So you're thinking, okay, this is the move to put us over the uh, over the top. And immediately, Jason Kidd pays dividends. Um, he's a three-time All-Star with the Nets. He takes the Nets immediately to the finals his first year and his second year, uh, along with an Eastern Conference final appearance in the 03-04 season. Again, playoffs 04-05, 05-06. In his time with the Nets, he averaged 15.5 points per game, nine assists a game, and eight rebounds a game. Again, that's from 01 through when he was traded in February of 2008. Um, This trade with Marbury was – there were some Nets fans who weren't happy about it, but I'm going to make a comp. Well, obviously when it happened, and then you saw what happened and everybody got over it. But I'm going to kind of comp this a little bit to the D'Angelo Russell-Kyrie thing. So we're not quite there with Kyrie yet, obviously. Kind of a lost year, his first year in Brooklyn. And D'Angelo Russell was an up-and-coming young point guard who played well. But again, that position is so big. And when you can make an upgrade like the Nets did here, Marbury for kid, you see what it does to your team and your franchise. Marbury was putting up good numbers, just like D'Angelo Russell was. But the common theme is, is they're not point guards who are ever going to be the reason you win, you know, to a large scale or contend for a championship. So Rod Thorne made the decision to, to make that upgrade and make that change. And obviously we saw what, what the Nets did last year, uh, getting Kyrie and, and, and shipping D'Angelo Russell out, who has not been good with, uh, with Golden State and Minnesota. Um, after Kidd had the great run in New Jersey, which never culminated in an NBA championship. But again, you, they lost to three Pete Lakers and the Ginobili, Parker, Duncan, Spurs when they were all in their primes. So you can't say they should have won either of those games, either of those uh, series. He gets um, he gets he gets traded back to uh, to Dallas where he started his career. Um, it was Kid Malik Allen, Antoine Wright. 
and they bring in Devin Harris, and uh, Keith Van Horn comes back along with a first-round pick in 08 and 2010. The 08 pick was Ryan Anderson, and the uh, 2010 pick ended up being Jordan Crawford. Not really memorable players there, but Devin Harris, I was excited about him because he was an up-and-coming blocker. One-time also. Yeah, for, for the Dallas Mavericks, and I remember him just being fast as shit. And no, he made, point, the, it, he made the all-star team for the Nets, bro. Devin Harris? Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, he was a nice player, but he never amounted to what I, to what I thought he was going to be. I thought no. he was going to be the, you know, you build your team around him for the next five, six years. And he was a good player, like you said, made that all-star team, but the team around him at that point was just terrible, and uh, he was never the kind of player that was going to, be a reason why you turned around and became a great team. So the Jason Kidd era in New Jersey obviously comes back to coach them for that one year with Pierce Garnett. Before he forced his way out to coach Milwaukee. forces his way out of there because he was upset he couldn't also be the uh, the GM. But Jason Kidd, best player in Nets history, n- excluding Dr. J, but he was ABA days. Okay. A little positivity to end your, to end your run there at number one. He was so great, man. I mean, he he was he could have, he could have a triple double whenever he wanted, and they and it wasn't an empty one either. No. Like I was watching some of those playoff games from the early two thousands. He's making every shot. Some of the passes he was making. I mean, that was a fun team there for for a couple of years. Absolutely. All right. So, are we ready to move on to my number one? The James Dolan era. Um, Let's start it. My number one is now. James Dolan taking over the Knicks in 2000, right after they go to the championship as an eight seed, one of the only teams to do that ever. I believe there's only one other team to do that. All right, let me read you a quote from the late, great David Stern back in 2007, talking about New York's Knicks management. They're not a model of intelligent management. That's a great quote. His first major move that he made was signing Allen Houston away from the Detroit Pistons to a $100 million max contract. Only Houston was another team that offered him anything near that Um, at $75 million. And then he had to retire. Although he made two all-star teams, as well as the fact that he's running... yeah, I wouldn't say that was a complete bust. No, he made two all-star teams, and he's running the Westchester Knicks now. But the fact that he um, he fizzled out multiple knee injuries, and he didn't even get a, close to $100 million from anyone else, not a good start. 2003, let's move on to there. I've already spoken about it with my number two. Hires Isaiah Thomas as team president. Yeah, looking back... Uh... After what you talked about in, in number two, um, yeah, that's bad. All right, so then after that, following an NBA championship with the Detroit Pistons, they hire Larry Brown to a five-year, $50 million contract. After a year, after a fucking year with not a great roster, they he fires Larry Brown and buys out his contract Total of $28 million after a year from that five. What does he do after that? He lets Isaiah Thomas, the GM, the trash GM, then coach the Knicks as well. 
<laughs> He's an incredibly loyal guy. You got to give him that. Yeah, I do. Loyal to a to a fault, I guess. I already mentioned the sexual harassment in 2007 that he fired the um, the woman out of, I guess you would say, spite for the sexual harassment thing against Isaiah Thomas, who he put in that position in the first place. Um, following that, I mean, you just have years of making terrible, terrible hires um, and talking about tit for tat. Um, Adam Silver just wouldn't even talk to him. Um, didn't penalize or reprimand him for anything, but I mean, going on the Michael K show and just arguing basically with the fan base. Then looking forward, you have in on February 9th, 2017, you have the Charles Oakley incident. Do we have to talk about that one? That's your call. I don't really think we have to go into that one. Um, following that, we have James Dolan in March of 2019 throwing a fan out of the garden for asking him to sell the team. Didn't even say anything terrible to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have to say much about this era. I think everybody knows how terrible of an owner James Dolan is since he's taken over in the early 2000s. He's up there as far as worst sports owners easily, but it's so crazy with him because he also owns the Rangers and the Rangers are the gold are a gold standard in the NHL. Yeah. And, and we've spoken speaks, about this before. Yeah. It just speaks to the difference in the sports. You know, hockey is a sport where players want to play for the most passionate fan bases and the team that have a chance to win, and Madison Square Garden sells because it's the world's most famous arena, and you're not playing in Columbus. But in the NBA, it doesn't sell itself nearly anything like that. And you have to set yourself apart from the competing owners as far as what you're going to do for these players' brand, personal brand. And there's nothing good about being a New York Knick with James Dolan running the show. I mean, you just talk about how the Nets got their free agents last year. I mean, to set it all up, I know we talked about it like crazy on the pod last year at this time. Crazy to think that's a year ago. But, you know, you trade, you get rid of Kristaps, who I don't think could be a, the number one player on a championship team, but he could probably be a number two. Yep. I mean, Dallas certainly thinks so. And you trade him because you're not getting along with him, again, for basically spite. And Porzingis ends up going to a great situation. You get these expiring contracts, and knowing that you're going to have all this cap space, with the rumor being abundantly clear that KD is going to play for the Knicks, because Rich Kleiman, his business partner, is a diehard Knicks guy, and Durant was going to leave Golden State and come to the East Coast. And the fact that you, one of those expiring contracts was DeAndre Jordan, who's boys with KD, saying, you don't want to come here. You know, this is not a good place to be. Uh, that, that, nothing's more damaging than that. And then seeing the B team in the city get the guys you were setting yourself up for years to get. I mean, it's, it's, it's about as bad of a run as you can have 
from an ownership standpoint. And just how different it is he operates from two sports franchises is crazy to me. But for the New York Knicks, it's do you see any do you see any way this gets better, man? I mean, he he's put the money in guys. You mentioned the Phil move. He's he clearly has no problem spending money on guys who are big names, but how how many can he continue to get wrong? Yeah, I think, you know, he has all the money in the world, but when you're an idiot, you're an idiot. Yeah, and I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's just unbelievably insecure, which is why he throws the fans out when they can't sell the team. I think that he's very loyal, to your point, to a fault, because he zeroes in on guys. Yeah, I don't like the racist allegations against him. He's clearly not. He's, you know, Allen Houston, like you said, runs the Westchester Knicks. He's got a lot of a lot of very close friends who are former players. But that Oakley thing just looks so bad. Obviously, you had the uh, Spike Lee incident this year. It's just, this is, I don't, is this salvageable? At I don't point? think so. I hate to say it. I think he needs to sell the team. Um, I mean, listen, by all accounts, supposedly he's a good guy when you, when you really know him. I mean, Tyson Chandler being able to use his private jet when... He had some family issues. A lot of play, a lot of former players speak really highly of him, but no, I think this team's a joke until the until it's in different hands. I agree with you, man. It, it's it's really tough, and uh, you know, there are things worse than having a terrible owner who's not a terrible guy, because you know we you look back on the Donald Sterling era. I mean, the guy was in trouble all the time, and there were allegations that were just so visceral against him, but there was no evidence. So David Stern or could never force him to sell until the, those tapes came out. And finally, finally Adam Silver banned him from life for life. But if you're just a terrible owner, like the guy out there in Phoenix, but you're not an awful guy, you just do stupid things and you don't run your organization. Well, you can't, be forced to sell the team. Yeah. I mean, the last it's, one, I'm sad. It sucks. It, it sucks because, you know, there is a lot appealing about the Knicks and what the history of New York City basketball is. And, and even though their history is, is pretty old now, uh, as far as when they were last real good, I mean, they still, a lot of iconic moments and players have played for that organization. Um, so it's tough. I just want to give a quick honorable mention because you, you mentioned it to me earlier before we jumped on the pod why I didn't put the Vince Carter trade in here. Vince Carter, when he got traded over, resurrected his career, and it was after the Nets had traded Kenyon Martin and Kerry uh, Kittles, and Jason Kidd did not like the direction it looked like the team was going in. So the Nets trade for Vince Carter, um, who was falling out of love with the Raptors. Uh, they trade Alonzo Mourning. Uh, Eric and Aaron Williams and two first-round picks uh, for him. Like I said, Kid kind of orchestrated this whole thing. Carter had a nice Nets run. He had some big moments. He made the playoffs four years in a row there. But nothing close to what they were before he got there, and maybe not to his fault. They're, the rest of the team wasn't great, and he certainly was not an issue. But he can't – that trade was significant. That trade meant a lot. 
um, especially for him now being in his final season of his illustrious career. But when you look at the other five I detailed, I, I just don't know how this cracks the list. But I wanted to give that a quick mention. There you go. I have nothing to mention. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we did it. I think that was a good therapy session. It was depressing, but we got through it. So you said you finished up Tiger King. Oh, my God. I finished Tiger King. Not um, a boy. Really, when I got when he was running for uh, – for office there in Oklahoma that wasn't even the craziest thing but I was just like okay all all bets are off now I mean everything is everything is on the table and just how it ends I was blown away I I, I definitely need a little a little break because I was only on episode three so I got through all seven did your assignment was, good job a lot yeah it was literally looking over basketball reference and watching Tiger King yesterday. That was my that What a day. Was quarantine, that was my, that huh? was my Yeah, quarantine life. I mean, it killed a whole day, so that was pretty good. But, wow, I, I, I think I needed a shower after watching it all, too. I was like, I give me, just give me a second here. <laughs> all right, well, we will be back very soon. Check out the website. There's going to be some new things running there soon. SorrySports.com. Sean and I will be back either later this week or early next week with uh, some NFL. Tom, you, yeah, some NFL stuff, the draft in two weeks, but what are you What are you going to do the next couple of days? What are, what's on your agenda? Um, I'm about to go help some family members. Um, we're going to stand six feet apart and we're going to paint some molding in their house. Um, aside from that, probably just the same thing I've been doing since we got locked down. Watch TV, play video games. That's it. All right, man. All right. Well, be good, sir. And, uh, we'll be talking soon. And everybody listening, uh, thanks for, thanks for allowing us to keep you company over the last few days. Uh, a lot of content, but what else do you do? Might as well listen to us. Absolutely, man. All right, buddy. Be good. We'll talk soon. Everybody stay inside. Bye.